try it one more time. Good morning. All right, welcome. It's good to see you all here. You're brave. I thought with the snow, you know, sometimes people kind of wimp out and don't come when it's, you know, I got a half inch of snow. We better not come. But I'm glad you're all here today. You know, um, I read a book after hearing a speaker. His name is Jim Collins. Jim Collins actually is not a Christian, but he wrote a best-selling book called Good to Great. I think we'll have a picture of it. There it is. Good to Great. And he interviewed hundreds of leaders from hundreds of highly successful businesses to find the keys to their success. Basically, what he found was that there are lots of businesses and lots of leaders that are good, but a small percentage of them make it above that threshold and become what he would define as great. And he wanted to know what differentiates. How do you go from being good to being great? He said the key, ultimately, is to be a level five leader. That's his terminology, which uh, that, that term actually originally he was going to call a servant leader or a selfless leader, but he didn't think that sounded strong enough, so he came up with this term, level five leader. And only a small percentage of leaders get there. But listen to some of the adjectives he used to describe these level five, high capacity, top of the top leaders. He said they generally are quiet, humble, trustworthy, gracious, mild-mannered. I thought, I thought that was very interesting. They don't demand center stage generally. They are not usually the person with the great big personality that screams, hey, I'm in charge, I'm the leader, listen to me, pay attention. You know, they're not usually that person. He said they are very ambitious, but generally they are ambitious for the company and not for self. And again, he called this rare great leader a level five leader because the original term he had thought to use, which was servant leader, didn't sound strong enough. It sounded, he said, too weak. Maybe you might say it even sounded too biblical because, again, he's not a Christian guy. Uh, you know, when I first heard him speak and then later read his book, I thought the more, the more I thought about what he was saying and explaining the more I thought, wow, you know what he says about leadership sounds an awful lot like what the Bible says about leadership, which is interesting in, in spite of the fact that he's not a Christian. You know, it, it shouldn't surprise us, though, that the Bible had it right from the very beginning. After all, the Bible is authored by the one who created us, who knows us, you know, thick and thin. He knows everything about us. So naturally, he knows what's best when it comes to leadership. Well, this morning we're going to look at and finish a series of messages on the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, you might open it up and look to that. 1 Peter chapter 5 and, and wrapping up this whole series about aliens. This chapter talks a lot about leadership, as you'll see in a minute. But interestingly, it also talks a lot about being a good follower, which is not a coincidence. Leadership and followship, if there was such a word, Putting them together in the same context makes a lot of sense, as you'll see. Now, this book is written by Peter, part of the inner three, if you will. Uh, Jesus had 12 disciples, 12 followers in that respect, and yet there was an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, who he spent an extra amount of time with in different settings. There were times where it was just Jesus, and then Peter, James, and John. And so Peter was naturally part of that, of course, along with these other two brothers, James and John. And in Matthew chapter 20, one of the craziest scenes that we see in the Bible unfolds. And I want to start by drawing your attention to this. Jesus has already said in verse 16 of the chapter, he said, So the, the last will be first, the first will be last. And he's making a point and talking through this 
issue. And right after he says that, James and John, and get this, with their mommy, the book of Mark talks about this same story and explains what happens a little bit uh, as well. You put it all together, you get this good picture of the story. But James and John, with their mommy, come to Jesus and ask for a crazy favor. The favor was that they wanted to sit on Jesus' left hand and right hand in His, in his uh, eternal kingdom. And this naturally makes the other disciples start to grumble. They, the Bible says they become indignant. They're frustrated. They're like, whoa, what gives? What's up with that? Why do they think they need to? Or why would they ask for? And so Jesus sets them all down and says, let's talk a little bit about leadership. And here's what He says in verse 25 showing that leadership and, and this idea of being a good leader and a, be, a good follower go hand in hand. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, referring to Himself, just as I, He says, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. You see, leading often starts with serving, which is not intuitive. Now, most of us play the role of leader in some capacity at some point in life. Not everybody, but most people, at least in certain areas of life, lead. But all of us serve. All of us are called to serve in various capacities in life. We, we follow a lot more than we lead when you think about it. I mean, you might be the quarterback of a team, but you're still just an ordinary student in the classroom five days a week, you know. Or you might be the CEO of your own company and, and generally say things like, follow me or do this or do that and give out orders and instructions all day long. But when you come home, you might have the one phrase coming out of your mouth more often than anything else that would just simply be, yes, dear, right? You know, so we all follow more than we lead. And leading, in fact, often starts with serving. The principle in this scripture that we're looking at that it, that it gives us, uh, that this comes from, applies obviously in the church, but it also applies in business. It, impli- it applies in sports. It applies in the military. It applies in in uh, 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 home life, anywhere where people are needing to work together. You know, interestingly, I found that there are tons of books. If you read a lot, you know this. There are tons of books about leadership. This great book by Jim Collins and all kinds of others. I love stuff that John Maxwell and others have written about and Andy Stanley. There are lots of people that I've enjoyed reading lots of books about leadership, but there are not very many books about how to be a good follower. Why is that? Well, I think it's because following is not near as glamorous and exciting as leading, and yet, thank God, we at least have one really, really good book about it. So if you didn't already open it up, will you do that right now? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at what God's Word has to say about this concept. Peter uh, begins here by addressing elders. Here's how he does it in verse 1 of chapter 5. To the elders among you... I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, 
not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So again, Peter begins by addressing elders, um, and the word elder can just simply mean older. That's how we get the word elderly, of course. But it also can mean overseer and shepherd and pastor. All of these can be synonymous as leadership terms. Elders are to shepherd God's flock. And this concept is not only taught here in 1 Peter, but in more detail it's taught in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 where we see more detailed qualifications and instructions about eldership, uh, which we have and will continue to do our very best to live out here at Impact Christian Church. Most of you know this, but Impact is an elder-led church. We often say that, we talk about that, and we simply say that because that's what the Bible teaches. And so we seek to do things God's way. That's what the Bible says, so that's what we try to do. At Impact Christian Church, there are five elders here that have been charged with the spiritual leadership of the church. Three are volunteers, two are on the, on the paid staff. Bob Sturgeon, Mac Owen, and Rob Gleghorn are the three volunteers, and then myself and Kent Gordon are the two that are elders, um, but also part of the, the paid staff. Jesus once said, I am the good shepherd, and Peter in the very next verse calls him, in fact, the chief shepherd. You'll see that in just a moment. And that means that elders of the church are therefore assistant shepherds, or you might say under shepherds, and at impact... These shepherds, these elders, are under uh, Jesus himself. And then the, uh, under the elders are the paid staff. And under the paid staff are lots of other wonderful volunteers, hardworking people that serve in all kinds of other areas. And that all coming together paints a picture of how we have such a healthy leadership team. Now, once in a while, someone will still say something to me like, Hey, Scott, tell me about your church or this. Hey, or at your church, do you believe this or do you do that or whatever? And Whenever anybody uses that term, I always stop them and say, no, 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 it's not my church. Don't say your church. It's our church if I'm talking to one of you. Or if it's somebody else, I might say, and actually, it's not even our church. It's God's church, and I'm no more in charge than any of the other guys in terms of leadership. Ultimately, God is in charge, and we're just trying to follow through and do whatever it is that He's asked us to do in, uh, in leading the way. But let's talk a little bit about what eldership does. Eldership, I think, has at least a threefold responsibility, as we see here through God's Word. First of all, if you're filling in the blanks, elders feed. Feed is the word I would write down, or you could even write in teach. Similar concepts. In the very famous 23rd Psalm, if you remember it, David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I lack nothing. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. So the picture there is of a sheep that is so well fed that it just feels like all I need to do is just lay down and, you know, and enjoy things where I'm at here by, these, by, the, by the water in the lush pasture. And it's the task of elders to make sure that the church family is fed the Word of God. So this church places a high value on teaching and preaching the Bible, whether that's popular, whether that's politically correct, that doesn't matter. We do our very best to make sure that we are teaching what is biblically correct we work hard to make sure that whatever is taught, whether it be on stage or in a life group setting or anywhere else, would be biblically correct, consistent with God's holy word. You know, the Bible is called, in the Bible, it's called things like meat, it's called milk, living water, bread, honey, 
all of which are sources of sustenance and nourishment to live by and to live on. Because what you eat is important, right? We know that in the physical world, but it's even more true in the spiritual world. Hungry people, in a spiritual sense, are often weak and irritable and unwise, and in the physical sense, right? Weak, irritable, and unwise. But well-fed people are more often strong and cooperative and, and more likely to make wise decisions. And so this task for elders to feed appropriately or to teach appropriately is very important. And generally, the people that I find in the church who find themselves hungry and maybe they, they use phrases like, well, I just don't know if I'm being fed very well or and therefore they get restless or frustrated or any of those kinds of things. Generally, that comes from people that are missing out on the opportunities that are right in front of them. Now, I said earlier, it's the elder's job to make sure that you are well-fed, that you're well-fed the Word of God. But that's not to the same as to say that you should be spoon-fed by the elders. We all need to learn how to feed ourselves. That's clear throughout Scripture. It's the job of elders to make sure that the food put on the table is healthy and that it's biblical, but we all as individuals, myself included, we all need to learn how to take off the bib, pick up the fork, and learn how to feed ourselves. Anyway, elders need to feed. Secondly, elders need to protect. Protect. In Acts chapter 20, Luke records some instructions the Apostle Paul gave the elders of Ephesus. Here's what he said in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Wow. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he goes on to talk about in that chapter um, how that is different from the hired hand. The hired hand might be there and do his job when it's easy, but when danger comes, maybe a predator or something else, the hired hand will take off and flee, and whereas the good shepherd will stay and even risk his own life if necessary for the sheep. And in that way, the elders have to protect the church against external adversaries that might try to come and distort truth or lead people astray, and, and sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's hard work. But more often than that, the problems actually often come from within. When someone inside the flock starts getting off track and maybe teaching something inconsistent with the truth of God's Word, or maybe they start causing division or, or dissension by spreading rumor or gossiping about others, maybe it's a staff person who has struggled in some way, maybe they've fallen morally or in some other way, and the elders have to step up and deal with such situations to protect the flock. Now, that's not easy, it's not fun, and Nobody on our eldership signed up because they wanted to be part of something like that. But they are, as good shepherds, as, as good elders, they are willing, there's Peter's word, willing to do so when needed. Now, I want you to not worry. I mean, that's kind of stuff that doesn't happen often. It's a rare thing. But when it does happen, I want you to know that you have a team of elders, a group of leaders that are solid, that love the Lord, and that uh, live out what God has laid before them in terms of responsibility. A third uh, responsibility would be that elders are to guide. They're to guide or to set an example. Look at our text here, verse 3 of 1 Peter 5 says, Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Good leaders set good examples. Any good shepherd knows that sheep are not driven like cattle. You can drive cattle, but you cannot sh drive sheep. Sheep are led just like people. 
people are led. And that's why that analogy is used so much in Scripture, because we are much like sheep in that respect. And there's no better example to follow than the example of Jesus. And elders are to follow Him so that others can follow them. But ultimately, we all need to keep our eyes fixed primarily on the chief shepherd, chief shepherd, Jesus, following Him so closely and intently that we learn to discern His voice in a noisy world so that we can follow Him even if things do get kind of crowded or busy or noisy or whatever. Peter gives some good instruction and description here about eldership as we're looking at, but again, there's more detail if you want to look at that in the books of 1 Timothy and the book of Titus. But some of the keys to being a good shepherd, as Peter talks about, and for that matter, being a good leader in any capacity, are to be a good follower. And that's where we're going to transition or where he transitions to talk the rest of this chapter. To be humble, to be eager to serve, or again, as he said, not lording it over others, but setting a humble example for them to follow. Not for personal or dishonest gain, but for the sake of honoring Jesus, the chief shepherd. Understanding that they are to guide, not drive people. Verse 4, is how, here's how he begins to talk this way. He says, and when the chief shepherd, Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I love that. A crown of glory that will never fade away. In other words, at that point, you will hear the words that, that I live for, and I hope you do as well, to someday hear our Savior, you know, when we meet Him at the gates or whatever that looks like, hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice, He doesn't say, well done, good and faithful leader. I mean, leading is important, but He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then we'll say, come and enjoy all I have prepared for you. Let's get this party started. You know, I look forward to that. I hope you do as well. That's what I live for. Well, at this point, he transitions from talking about good leaders to good followers. And again, leadership talk applies to all of us or most of us, at least in some settings. But being a good follower is something that applies to all of us, all of us, no matter what, in many different areas. All right, verse 5, he says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward, other, toward one another because, and here he quotes from Proverbs, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Lift you up in due time. So there are instructions for leaders here in 1 Peter 5, specifically to elders, but there's also some great stuff about followers and again, as I said earlier, that is not a coincidence. It's not a, oops, well, I just happened to work that way. No, it's because God recognizes that good leaders understand what being a good follower looks like as well. So let's take the time we have left and talk about good following. First of all, if you're filling in the blanks, a good follower is somebody who is humbly submissive. Humbly submissive. There are two extremes to following a leader. There's the cynical and critical follower who's arrogant and who distrusts virtually every leader questions everything. Then there's on the other end of the extreme, there is the naive, quick and qu quick to be blind and, and just follow no matter what. You know, that's how you get things like the situation that happened in, in Jamestown, Guyana with Jim Jones leading a thousand people to commit suicide. But in the center of these two extremes is realism, where we learn to follow imperfect leaders to honor our perfect God, using wisdom and discernment as you do, 
asking appropriate questions like, is this person qualified? What, what do their motives look like? Is there fruit to their, to their efforts? But good followers don't resent being the leaders, not being the leader. They don't resent that. They are humbly submissive, and our Scripture makes that very clear. While unsubmissive followers that second-guess and undermine can bring down a church or business or family, you name it, about as quick as anything. I'll tell you something. It's a little bit intimidating to stand up here and talk about leadership um, when I look out and see so many entrepreneurs and successful business owners. There are doctors in here. There are teachers in here. There are police officers in here. There are firefighters in here. There are all kinds of successful people leading in different ways. And I feel like, wow, am I really qualified to even talk about this? I hope you'll understand it's not my words, though, that matter. It's really what God is saying. But I want you to know I admire and appreciate and respect those who have been successful or are being successful in leadership, who can sit and, and respect and honor and follow when God calls you to in other settings. You see, healthy organizations are not just characterized by good leaders. They are also characterized by good followers. Every healthy organization has good followers in it, people who support and encourage and build up whoever the leader is. Do you remember the movie, Remember the Titans? How many of you have seen that? Let me see if I show hands. All right, most of you have seen that movie probably. It was the story about the school that hired the first black coach in the county. The assistant coach, if you remember the movie, was a white guy who wanted that job. He wanted to be the head coach. And naturally, he, of course, now had an opportunity to kind of undermine that coach. Or he could choose to humble himself and be an enthusiastic follower. If you remember the movie, you know that in time, eventually, that coach chose to be a positive supporter of his new head coach. And the result was racial harmony, a winning football season, and a great example to all those young guys on the football team and, of course, others that were watching in the community. And the key to all of the good that happened was as much about the humility and the willingness to be a good follower by that assistant coach as it was the strength and wisdom and, and you know, all the intelligence of that strong leader you know, played by Denzel Washington. That was really the key to how that all worked out, was the humility and the willingness to follow by the assistant coach. Sometimes it's more impactful to be a level five follower than it is to be a level five leader. And when we choose to do so, honoring God's word here, he says that in due time, he will lift us up. Love that. Let him define what that looks like, but lift us up in his way at the right time. A good follower is also divinely strengthened. Verse 7 of our text says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That's a beautiful verse. It's a very comforting verse a lot of us have drawn comfort from and loved for good reason. Now, the Bible tells us to share our burdens with other people and confess our sins to one another, to lean on one another in different ways. But ultimately, we need to remember to cast all of our anxiety on Jesus, remembering that He alone is omnipotent and able to handle all that we need Him to handle. A good follower leans on other people, but doesn't cross the line and become codependent or overly needy. Um, they rather, they cast their anxiety on other people sometimes rather than God, and, and struggle in this way. But again, we need to remember what Paul said, or what God said through Paul in Philippians, when he said, do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining. And we need to remember to cast our our anxiety primarily on Jesus, because for one, He cares more than anybody else can, and He has broader shoulders than anybody else does to be able to carry that weight as well. 
So good followers cast their anxiety on Him. A good follower, thirdly, also is fully engaged. If you're filling in the blanks, fully engaged. Verse 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Peter's saying, be alert, be ready, be focused, be engaged. Interestingly, Peter's talking from a voice of experience at this point. If you follow the New Testament, you know in terms of timeline what has happened previous to this. If you remember, uh, you might remember that he overconfidently at one point told Jesus that he was good to go. He was ready to even die for Jesus if needed. God, you know, God could count on him. Jesus, you can count on me. I, I am that guy. But you remember what Jesus told him? He said, be careful, Peter. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And Jesus told him then in Luke 22, verse 34, he said, I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Deny that you knew me. Three times you'll do that. And of course, Peter felt terrible when he lived that out just a short time later, as Jesus had predicted. And so now here, as he writes this book to us, he's basically saying, be careful. Learn from my mistakes. You know, be fully engaged. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, does prowl around like a roaring lion, looking for whom he can devour, like he tried to and almost succeeded to, succeeded to do with me. If you want to be a good follower of Jesus, don't take your enemy lightly. Don't be careless. The stakes are high. Eternity hangs in the balance. God doesn't want fans. He wants followers. And we need to recognize the difference. Don't be half-hearted. Don't be lackadaisical. Don't be lukewarm about your faith. Be all in, using the poker term. All in, fully engaged, locked in and focused. All right, number four, we need to be mutually inspired. I get that thought from reading verse 9 when he says, Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. You know they're dealing with the same stuff you're dealing with. So therefore, that should lead you to be inspired as you think about what they're dealing with. If you know that other people are going through difficult things, it can inspire you to also stand firm, as he tells us. You know, I'm sometimes tempted, I'll just tell you, sometimes tempted to skip over hard passages in the Bible. But then when I hear about preachers like the guy from Denmark that I recently heard about that was arrested and imprisoned for a month in his country simply because he read out loud what the Bible said about homosexuality. He didn't even give any commentary. He just read from Scripture and was thrown in prison for a month because of it. When I hear of that, or when I hear of Christian girls in India and Pakistan, as I've heard lately, that have had acid thrown in their faces and been disfigured by it because they believe in Jesus. Just that. Just because they said they believed. Things like this, stories like that inspire me to stand up and want to continue to preach what the Bible preaches, whether it's popular or not. There are so many, many more stories about other people being persecuted for their faith at the hands of the enemy which, by the way, never forget, our enemy is the devil. It's never the person, the person that does things inappropriately like that, uh, you know, even wickedly, is still just a pawn in the hand of the real enemy. But stories like that break my heart, but they also give me courage and boldness. They lead me, as I hope they do you, to want to go out and vote and stand up for what is right. 
There are so many things at stake this year, every year, every time we hear, at least in the last however many years I can remember, every election seems to be like the most important one or one of the most all-time important elections. This one is, is that. It is important that we stand up and that we look at what people believe about, about issues that God speaks about. And we need to stand for what the Bible stands for. I'm also sometimes tempted to whine and complain about my personal aches or pains or problems or whatever. But then I think of people like, like Briley Swanson, a young 10-year-old girl in our church family who, as to date, as current date, has had 17 procedures on one leg that has given her more trouble than probably any of us will ever have with any one part of our body. 17 times she's had to be operated on as a 10-year-old or leading up to now being a 10-year-old. And when I think of situations like that, it inspires me to want to be strong and not whine, not complain, not grumble. Or when I think of friends of mine like Ed Samberson and Larry Williams, who are two of the guys that I enjoy going to Bible study with every Thursday morning, uh, almost every Thursday, we, we get together and we, we study God's Word together. And I enjoy meeting with them along with the other guys. There's usually 15 or 20 guys there. And, and uh, they're there every week unless they're busy receiving a treatment for their cancer, which they never complain about, which leads me to think, who am I to complain about anything? When I think of stories like these and so many more here in our church family or from other brothers and sisters around our world, I get inspired to want to do what Peter says here. Let me read it again. He says, resist him, the devil. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. It should lead us to be mutually inspired. And number five would be we should be eternally motivated. Here's how he finishes this chapter and therefore the book. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, we all like to be boosted up by the leader, you know, given a pat on the back or something like that by a supervisor, right? We all do. But the best followers keep doing their best, not for the sake of praise from other people. They keep doing their best for the glory of God. And that's what we need to all remember and strive to do. It's similar to what God says through Paul in Colossians, one of my favorite uh, couple of verses when he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. That's what it looks like to be eternally motivated. You know, that instruction that Paul gave us right there, um, similar to what Peter says, but, but Paul's instructions specifically explain the why, if you will, to the instructions that he'd just given a few verses earlier in Colossians chapter 3 about children obeying parents, about wives submitting to husbands, about slaves um, uh, obeying their masters. Similarly, like employees are to honor and work hard for their employers, or, or citizens should honor their elected uh, leaders, or, or their law enforcement people, not because all of the above never make a mistake, but because they are put there by God Almighty, and we honor Him when we honor them. And we need to understand the power of being a, a, a godly follower. We need to be eternally motivated 
and eternally focused because doing so honors the groom of the church. And he notices and he will in his perfect timing, as he says, reward you, lift you up. In July of 1976, 103 Israelis were held hostage at the Entebbe International Airport in Kenya. If you're over 40 years old, I guess you might remember that, although you might have just been a child, but maybe you remember this story. If you do, you remember, you recall that the Israeli commandos made a daring raid at the airport to free their fellow Jewish citizens, and in less than 15 minutes, the Jewish soldiers had killed all seven of the uh, kidnappers and set 100 of the captives free. But again, I said there were 103 captives, didn't I? Well, you see, here's what happened. During the short um, barrage of bullets, three of the good guys went down as well. When the Jewish soldiers entered the airport and shouted in Hebrew, get down, get down, and crawl, words like that, in Hebrew, their Jewish prisoners, their, their countrymen, understood because they speak Hebrew, and so they obeyed and they got down. But the, uh, the terrorists who did not speak Hebrew were just kind of left there in that brief moment. It happened in just a split second. They didn't understand, and so they were left there standing. And immediately, the soldiers, as they came in, shot the seven upright people, just assuming that those were going to be the, the bad guys, the kidnappers. But two of the hostages hesitated. They did not obey the command. Nobody knows why. Maybe they were curious. Maybe they weren't paying attention, whatever it was. But for one reason or another, they did not follow the instructions. And so they were also shot along with the seven terrorists. And one other young man who actually did hit the floor, as told, failed to listen to the instruction. And instead of staying down, as he was told, when the bullets were not flying anymore for a moment, he thought it was safe to get up. He stood up and was shot and killed by a soldier who mistook him as a terrorist because he was not a good follower. You see, to be a good follower, or to be a good listener for that matter, or a good leader, is sometimes a life and death matter. We are all held captive by sin, taken hostage by Satan, but Jesus Christ has come into this battlefield of a world to rescue us, giving us his life on the cross and showing us what it means to give oneself for somebody else. But he gives us instructions and we need to learn to be good followers and do whatever it is that he tells us. Jesus said in Matthew or in Mark 16, he said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And if you're willing to humble yourself and be a good follower this morning, I want to ask you, if you would, right now to stand as we are ready to sing and give our life to the Lord. Maybe some of you have already been there and done that, and you've committed your life to Him. Maybe you just want to stand where you're at and worship Him. Maybe you lift your hands in the air and say, Lord, I worship you. Kind of, you know, hands in the air kind of signify what you picture in your mind when an officer says, put your hands up. It's, a, it's an act of surrender. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe you want to come and kneel and get right with the Lord and repent of something, rededicate your life. Or maybe there are some here today, maybe there's one here today who's never given their life fully to the Lord, never been baptized, never committed to Him, never said, God, I'm all yours. I'm all in. I trust you. We're going to sing about what that looks like and give you an opportunity to do that. But.